Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Nolan Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, you know, it's, I had a very exciting thing this week. I've been very focused on my on this. I've had a lot of crazy stuff going on, a lot of drama, a lot of really uh, intense personal stuff going on, as well as, you know, all the other craziness that's going on in the public sphere right now. Uh, but I had my first actual, like, good day in quite a while this week. It was very exciting. So I'm focusing on that part of it and not on the extreme sleep deprivation that will eventually strike me down. <laughs> just, I, I'm worried that we're not going to be able to record anything for our end of the year stuff at this point. I'm really worried about. Oh your health. no, no, it's so cool. It's cool that as long as I have my espresso, I'll be, I'll be just fine. That is not a way to live. It's, a, it's, it's, but it's, it can be fun. It can, it can definitely be fun, and I am certainly looking forward to our, our end of the year listening. Uh, it will shock listeners. Uh, but listeners, uh, Noel has a lot of his homework done. I have not started mine. Um, uh, I, I, I have the top 20 like locked in. I have nothing prepared for the Smorgasbord in part because I was irresponsible and lost the list. Um, so. <laughs> I, I love how you've been doing weeks of prep and that's irresponsible to you. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Um, but the reason uh, that I brought up it was delightful having a actual like day where like that was crazy busy, but like, where I was like, someone's like, how are you doing? I'm like, good. I'm like, oh, I meant that. Yay. <laughs> um, is I've been very focused on, on myself and I wanted to ask, how are you doing? And have you had a chance to sleep in a bed shaped thing yet? Or are you still stuck on the couch because of all of the craziness with your like sinuses and the, the, the shingles and everything? Right. So like last Sunday or Monday was like the first time I'd slept in the bed in about two months. Um, cause I've been sleeping, my ears don't like it when I've been sleeping on my side, like either way, like my ears just build up pressure because of the nerve pain. And it's just like, and the blood, I guess, I don't know. It's very, but it's been very unpleasant. So I've been able to sleep in my bed cause it doesn't provide as much back and neck support as my fold out sofa from Ikea does. And so that's where I've been sleeping for the past, um, two months basically um but that one night that i slept in my bed was like the only night i slept in my bed this week um because i immediately it wasn't even because of health it was just because i wasn't like the second night i wasn't able to like fall asleep so i just went back under the sofa and i just fell asleep like a like a half hour later so it's just like oh not okay so like tonight is actually i'm gonna like try again to sleep in my bed and see how that goes. Um, but yeah, it was, as you saw on Twitter, and as a few people saw on Twitter, it was kind of a big deal for me to be sleeping in my bed after two months of not sleeping in my bed and trying to reestablish a sense of a routine, um, which is a weird thing. But I was also reading a book that was like tying me up in like emotional ways. And it was just a, it was a very, it was a very stressful night of bordering on oversharing on Twitter, which is something I try to avoid doing. Well, that's what podcasts are for, right? I'm pretty sure. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's absolutely what they're I've for. definitely been oversharing for weeks now, if not months, certainly. Um, as the listeners just laughed and said, oh, Kate, years, years you've been oversharing with us. 
Um, well, we called for it last week on the podcast. Uh, we, we said we needed some, some more, like, uplifting news. Uh, and so we called on Star Trek Discovery to give us some more fun casting. And they did. Sonequa Martin-Green, who people will know as Sasha on The Walking Dead, has been cast as the lead of the show. And that's very exciting. Oh, is she the yeah. lead? I, I wasn't quite... Oh, okay. That's, that is great news. Because I wasn't entirely sure, based on like the little snippet I read, if she was the lead. But that's good. That's exciting. Yeah, she was, she's was. she been terrific on uh, The Walking Dead when they've given her stuff to do. Um, and so, <laughs> you know... <laughs> you mean she's not Jeffrey Dean Morgan? But, you know, as opposed to just like when they, they're like, you're angry. Oh, okay. Um why it doesn't matter just, just like we're not gonna give you enough scenes to explore that but just just be angry it's, it's like there are there were reasons for her to be angry when she was just like defined by just being the angry character um but yes yeah, certainly uh she she made a lot of what was at times some thin material so i think she should be uh pretty terrific there's a reason that she shouldn't be terrific i should say uh in star trek discovery if they give her the material so that's very exciting also i have to amend uh some of my info from our previous discussions uh because michelle yo is going to be on the show and she's uh going to be recurring as a captain but not i I think it was not the captain of Discovery. No, it's not the captain. So that's no, she's captain of another yes. ship. Yes, it's an important distinction. Wanted to make sure that this was not a limitless, is totally renewed situation. Um, so oh, yeah, geez. yeah, tears. Where where do I put that on the smorgasbordy for Kate misleading me for you? Uh, I think I think this is like uh, I'm planning to you know peek behind the curtain again. I'm planning that that's going to be on my cancel too soon part of it. <laughs> certainly no 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 i meant just for the pain and oh the, I, oh well yeah I, we can yeah. make a category i'm sure there'll be several <laughs> contenders <laughs> but uh but no that was exciting to hear and i i do continue like as much as bummed as we are that uh brian fuller is no longer running things over there or at least co-show running over there um you know he's not involved in, at all anymore and that's that's certainly something that's disappointing for us uh at least the casting that we have been seeing has been promising so we'll see what happens as things continue to shape up but because 2016 uh is still 2016 uh, we also have a tv celebrity death that we should mark this week of course alan thick who was a beloved tv dad on growing pains um and just all around terrific whenever he popped up in things of course for me i know him best as robin's dad on how i met your mother um but uh, but he was just even this year uh this fall on this is us uh, playing himself um he passed away this week and um yeah i always enjoyed when he when he showed up and i don't even have any connection with growing pains and i still thought he you know have felt a strong connection to his at least his tv presence so that's certainly a, a unfortunate addition to next year's uh emmy in, in memoriam it is and it was actually kind of a weird situation because i was i was like checking facebook like i check facebook once a day and on the trending side it was like bob barker and of course now every time i see like a celebrity's name i just assume that they died um, so it's just like, oh no, Bob Barker died and it was his birthday. And I just went, oh, okay, well that's fine. And I went back to Twitter and like two minutes later, I kid you not, Alan Thicke's dead. And I just went, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and so it's just like, fine, 2016, fine. Um, I'm like, I, I watched some of Growing Pains when I was younger, so I'm passingly 
I have like memories of growing pains, mostly of the house's kind of vaguely weird architecture. Um, it, it was one of those multicam houses from like the late eighties and early nineties that never actually felt like a house. Um, so, but I mean, he's very much like a quintessential TV dad in a lot of ways. And he continued to do that with like guest star turns, like on how I met your mother is Robin's dad. And, but like you said, whenever he showed up, he was always game for basically doing anything, which I think is why he showed up on any number of things. He was just always really happy to be on TV. And he's very much like a TV actor in any number of ways. And yeah, he'll be missed. He'll be missed. Definitely. Well, this week on the DVD shelf, the DVD shelf is back, I should say, and we're very excited to have Sean Coletti, former co-host of the podcast, a friend of the show, of course, but also over at TV Roundtable nowadays, uh, returning to help us talk about Enlightened, which is, of course, the two-season, short-lived, but well-remembered series from HBO. Uh, So that's coming this week on the DVD shelf. But for now, we're going to take a uh, quick break, listen to a little bit more Crazy Ex-Girlfriend while we can. And uh, come back with our week in TV. So we'll be right back after this. Hey, what are you doing for the next like 13 hours? Don't do anything healthy. Don't be productive. Give in to your desire. Research me obsessively. Uh huh. Find out everything you can about me. You know you want to dig for me relentlessly. tool in all forms of social media yes you know you want to look at my instagram but it's private so google me until you find out where i went to high school and then set up a fake instagram account using the name and the photo of someone that went to my high school and hope that i remember that person a little bit <sighs> no then request access to my private instagram from the fake account and in the This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with some comedy. Noel's going to do a roundup of some of the ABC comedy, or pretty much all the ABC comedy uh, mid-season finale, so we'll have fresh off the... Well, not all of them. It's just like modern family no oh yes that's true i forget that that is still on and very important to a lot uh-huh. of people just just you know not yeah. to me um but we're gonna have you and those gonna talk about uh, fresh off the boat where are the giggles speechless c-h-o choir uh blackish just christmas baby and the middle of very merry christmas then i'll chime in with a few thoughts on people of earth before we both round out the comedies with crazy ex-girlfriend who's the cool girl josh is dating uh, then we'll move over for a little drama talk with Elementary. It serves you right to suffer, and we'll round things out, of course, with Rectify, which had its series finale, All I'm Saying. So first up, comedy. Uh, Noel, how did the ABC uh, midseason finales fare? Uh, really well. Uh, I enjoyed all of these episodes a great deal for various, lo- for various reasons. Uh, first up with the middle is that they've been in a uh, actually really nice, like, semi well not semi serialized story arc um where no one likes axel's uh, girlfriend who's played by um what's her one of the actresses names from awkward the woman who played the christian airhead whose name i can't remember nor her actor her actual name anyway so she's on the middle and she's still playing an airhead um but she does it very well so anyway none of the hex like her and this comes out like during thanksgiving and axel just leaves and isn't talking to anyone in the family and 
this is like the end of this like trilogy of episodes and he axel and april end up getting married because it turns out that april's family doesn't like axel at all either and they're just bonding over this and then they got married off screen and all all of a sudden this episode is about the fact that he comes home for christmas to out of like guilt for doing this and doesn't tell frankie that he's married and is super nice to her and she's so happy because she's been really upset about the estrangement and everything and sue knows but sue's sue's trying to keep the secret that sort of thing so it was really funny and it ends with uh april's family calling frankie while they're driving through the upper crust of orson to go see their all their christmas christmas house lights and then there's a big like chase and fight through all these yards that and they just end up wrecking all these christmas displays and it's very, very funny. It's very middle. Um, and they end up getting an annulment and everything. But it was a very funny type of way to resolve this um, kind of serious for them uh, storyline of dealing with Axel's estrangement from his family. And it was just a, it was a very good, like, kind of a Christmas episode for the middle. So I really, really enjoyed it. But I always really, really enjoy the middle, um, even though I don't talk about it every week on here. It's just kind of ABC's stealth comedy, um, considering it's been on for, like, seven years at this point. Um, Blackish had a really good uh, episode as well, in which uh, Dre decides that he wants to have the ultimate Christmas with Zoe before she leaves for... Um, before she leaves for college and so they just go through a number of like things where all the other kids start getting kind of estranged from christmas because dre refuses to engage with any of them and while all this is happening um tyra banks returns um with a baby in tow and all sorts of weird kind of baby stuff occurs between her and Bo. And how they navigate being mothers and whether or not they both, whether or not Tyra Banks' character feels prepared to be a mom and whether or not Bo feels ready to be a mom again and how much of this has changed. And it's just, it's, it's very funny, but very good, like character work for Bo. And it's also a nice acknowledgement of her pregnancy, which kind of dips and ebbs and flows out of the narrative sometimes with um, Blackish. It just kind of depends on what they want to talk about. Um, also, I think the biggest the biggest laugh is we still don't know if um, David Diggs' character and Ruby have <laughs> gotten together yet uh, because most of the episode, David Diggs' character is sp- spending time with Pops and Ruby arguing about Christmas songs and uh, Pops leaves and Ruby just like saunters up to him and that's where the scene cuts but i mean it's it's we don't know but thankfully i was really worried because dv Diggs is like packing to leave and he misses his flight so he's gonna stay some more and i'm very happy because <laughs> i was worried that he was gonna go away and i was just like no don't go away dv Diggs, don't go away i i need you on my tv um so that was really good um Speechless continues to be just, I think, probably one of my favorite freshman shows this year, which is a very low bar to clear. Um, also, in part because I haven't kept up with like Pitch with the Exorcist still, um, and a couple of other freshman shows. But you mean um, this fall, th- right? This fall, right? This fall, and so the big the big one here is that they've decided to just actually have a Christmas. In terms of everyone's going to get non-practical gifts, 
So it's video games and it's toys and they have an actual tree and all this sort of fun stuff. And then uh, Mini Driver's character uh, loses the van uh, <laughs> or, or assumes it gets stolen. But in fact, she just didn't pull the parking brake and it rolled down a hill. Um, but so they go through all these stuff of having to reaffirm their family bond at Christmas uh, without presents and that sort of thing, only to file an insurance claim and get a really nice van. And then, of course, discover that the van rolled down the hill, so they have to return the really nice van. So they don't have to keep anything. <laughs> and maybe the presents got wrecked. Um, it's not clear. But it was still it's still a really fun bit um, of business. I really liked the fact that the DeMeos try to actually have a Christmas um, this year. So that was really, really, that was really fun. Even, I say this year, it's just implied that they've never had a Christmas, really, given their economic circumstances. And then Fresh Off the Boat had a really kind of bizarre Christmas episode, um, in part because it zigged where I was expecting it to zag, because uh, Jessica gets tickets from a client, movie tickets from a client, and she's just like, I'm going to take everyone to go see Jingle All the Way, <laughs> that 1996 Arnold Schwarzenegger cinematic classic. And here's the thing is like, they're talking about Jingle All the Way in the cold open, and Jessica's espousing her love of Christmas movies, like there's no such thing as a bad Christmas movie. And uh, one of her kids is just like, well, what if Denzel did a Christmas movie? And she's just like, it would be the best Christmas movie ever. And I immediately thought that they were going to go in on Jessica fighting with her family to go see The Preacher's Wife, which came out in the same year, like three weeks after Jingle All the Way, the Way came out, because that's, a Den that's like the only Denzel Christmas movie. And that didn't happen. They made no reference to The Preacher's Wife. And instead they do kind of a, um, whatchamacallit, a... Uh, Christmas Carol type of thing with Ray Wise's character um, because he ends up like hurting his back in the house and in his uh, painkiller things he gets visited by members of the family posing as ghosts because he ends up suing the, the uh, Wong's insurance to um, basically cover the cost of his bills and he starts feeling guilty about this Honey's making him feel guilty about this and um, so it's all this sort of stuff but it's just a very kind of an odd episode there's some still some decent stuff in there, but um, of the four episodes, it's probably the weakest of the ABC Christmas episodes that I watched because I also didn't watch the Real O'Neill's Christmas episode, even though I liked the Real O'Neill's last year and I just didn't watch any of it this year. Oh well. Uh, so that was that. Those were the ABC Christmas comedies that we normally talk about. Uh, plus the middle. <laughs> I I very much am looking forward to that that blackish episode and, and uh, speechless. And you're right, that is a significant oversight from Fresh Off the Boat. I want to think it's like because they're saving it for a special, maybe for next year, like a special Denzel centric episode for some reason. That that would be nice, but it was just it was really weird to me that I was expecting a preacher's wife joke because I googled it Kate, like. <laughs> As soon as as soon as he asked about Denzel, I just went, oh, are they going to do a preacher's wife joke? Oh, this is going to be great. 
and then they didn't mm. and i was really confused <laughs> yes cuz they're normally on point with that stuff so and to, to specifically they are. bring it yeah that's weird it's weird um well over on tbs with people of earth uh we had mars or bust and this was a fun episode uh, i really like the way the season's progressing and specifically in this episode we get a lot more focus on jeff uh, and and jeff has gotten an arc which is delightful uh, for people who are a little uh, hazy on on which character that is, that's the uh, the big head, dark eyes alien, the, the gray. gray. Yeah, that's the gray. The gray. Um, so it, he, uh, yeah, he has his use of Angela um, and infiltrating of the group. Uh, it was delightful um, and how that's affecting the different dynamics is a lot of fun. And I just, this is a show and I've introduced my, my dad to this one and and my, my sister and my brother-in-law and some other people. And they've all really caught into the show really quickly. They really, yeah, they really liked it. Um, uh, like just like, laughing out loud it's the same thing it's like the because they didn't know what to expect going into it so they watched the pilot and were laughing out loud a bunch and then going this is really funny i was like yes another one for the <laughs> another fan of the abc uh the, sorry the uh tbs underseen comedies um but yeah so so i really like the way that the season seems to be coming together i i want to say it's a 10 episode season that seems like that's what tbs has been doing so that means that there's just two more so it feels like they're kind of threading things together in an interesting way while still maintaining enough uh mostly very standalone um at least as far as like the ability to just watch it you know having very satisfying beats each episode so they've been developing sort of how jeff feels about the this group for you know several episodes but i can just watch this one and not you know, feel like I'm constantly waiting for a payoff. They make sure that, that we're laughing enough along the way that it's not about the, again, it's, it's that idea of it's not about the arrival point, though hopefully that will also be very satisfying, but it's about uh, making sure each step in the process is uh, is as um, entertaining and as uh, surprising at times as what we came to expect with the with the pilot. So it was another really uh, sol- solid episode of People of Earth, and I would not have anticipated... Um, in the earlier parts of the season that we'd be at this point in episode eight. So that's, um, it's, it's been fun and I look forward to seeing what's up in the next couple of episodes. Um, but of course to round out our weekend comedy, we've got crazy ex-girlfriend and who's the cool girl Josh is dating. Um, so this one, for me, this wasn't, um, as memorable as the previous episode, but I do like the way that this episode really captures the K-hole you can just fall into online. I haven't actually like yes. stalked any exes or, you know, that kind of thing. Fortunately, I've <laughs> had enough distance and things like where I just, I haven't felt the need to do that. Um, but I, I, I think we've all fallen into our, our own, like clicking on the next thing to the next thing. And they, they, they really capture that. So I'm, I'm continuing to enjoy what this new girl group thing is bringing out. Um, uh, in, in Rebecca and Valencia specifically, but also just giving Heather more to do. It's uh, the the heart of the episode is definitely Paula and Rachel, and where that's or sorry, in Rebecca, Rachel Bloom, but Rebecca, where that's at. But uh, you know, this this kind of break that we're having from Rebecca and Paula, much as you know, it hurts in the feels. Uh, it it really is terrific that they decided to bump up Valencia to fill that and, and they've done so they've, I, th- I think they've been doing really well with it so far. Um, I've been monologuing. What, how do you feel about this episode? Uh, 
like you, I really like Research Me obsessively um, in terms of just how well it captures, like you said, just falling into that hole of clicking on the next thing, and but also accidentally liking something from eight months ago and being like, oh god, no! Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to see that! And just going, then they know that someone was stalking them. And then you have to like a bunch of other stuff to cover for it, but then you can't because then it's just really clear that you're trolling through everything and it's just bad. It's a bad spiral. Don't do it. <laughs> um, so I really like that, but the rest of the episode just didn't really land for me in a lot of ways. Like I really liked the Paula and Scott stuff. And I really liked, like you had said, like how Valencia has stepped into this filling a gap for Paula role. But I just didn't like a lot of this episode. Like, I didn't like the whole stuff with the cat and the vet. And a lot of that just felt really, like, kind of... It was leaning in too hard into the crazy part of things, I think, in a way that never felt, like, kind of self-winking or self-aware for me in a lot of ways that the show typically can do when they lean in on this. And so I really kind of struggled with how I felt about this episode in a lot of ways. And... Yeah, I just, I couldn't really dig into it in the way that I felt like I'd been digging into the show so far this season, where I feel like it's been on just a huge run for six episodes. And then for this episode, it just kind of comes to a halt a little bit until, except for, like I said, the Paula and Scott stuff, which I think is really very good. Yeah, I just kind of struggled with this episode, and I think that's fine. I mean... not everything can be great in even in a 13 episode season. So you're going to have something that you're not always going to respond to. So I'm okay with the fact that I just kind of went, eh, but I like that we we gave Anna a song. I like that we got this montage look into her life that kind of established Anna for us without Anna having to describe herself or without Josh having to describe her. So I really liked how we got all this character exposition through a song through social media, which I thought was the most on-point thing about the episode. What do you think of the decision to make Josh's new girlfriend horrible to him? I'm I'm really interested to see more so what... I, I, I want to know more about what he's going to do and how he's going to respond to her being horrible. Um, and it's also... I'll admit, it's been like a couple of weeks since I watched this episode. Um <laughs> That, I, I mean, it's very clear that he feels uncomfortable in the hipster coffee place and feels uncomfortable with hipster coffee dude, um, who's the most hipster coffee dude I've seen on TV and I don't know how long. Um, he had a Vesta and a handlebar mustache cape. <laughs> <laughs> and glasses. Um, so... I, I want I want to know more about how he responds to her being awful because I mean he still like brings stuff to her at work and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, he's smitten. He's smitten. But she's she's someone who plucks eyebrows and charges three hundred dollars on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so not not a terrific person. Um, but we'll see how it goes. I f- the, I think one of the things to keep in mind is that the show this is a show that always kind of zigs and when you expect it to zag. And so she may end up like appearing horrible, but maybe she won't end up being like quite that horrible. Cause I mean, we've had depths to Valencia. I think that we maybe didn't quite expect to have. And 
I, I don't see why Anna couldn't have those. And I also don't think that you hire Brittany Snow just to sing. Because Brittany mm-hmm. Snow's a talented actor. And that to just kind of leave her in like this kind of one note kind of role would be a disservice to her and a disservice to casting her. So we'll see. But how are you feeling about it then? Or do you think that this is basically all we've seen of Anna is all that we're going to get from Anna? Or this is all there is to Anna, I should say. Well, I think there's... It's, she could easily be around for quite a while. Yeah. And there's they could easily give her a lot more you know, the character a lot more depth and a lot more of interest. But I think, I think the choice to have Josh go from his high school girlfriend who he was with forever to Rebecca uh, for like weeks, maybe. Um, And then immediately to someone who also is, who is a bad fit. Like, I think actually were she, were, were Rebecca and she dealt with her stuff and was she more stable? I actually think her and, and, like for I think he's not I think she's not as bad a choice for him as you know she is right now be, because of where she's at in, in, with her mental health but but I think to go from Valencia to Rebecca to Anna is an interesting choice because it's showing him picking poorly and choosing people who because she's just such an obvious choice because she's there and they underlined that for us you know in the previous episode with the thought bubbles reprise um and so i i think it's interesting to want to explore that part of him that can't be alone and that uh will go for the next pretty person who seems nice but is very much just happy to be like oh he's so cute i'm slumming it with this guy uh, and he's just, he'll do stuff for me. And that's what she, she likes the fact that she considers him simple and, and like, and he'll, he's like, does, and she can like, there's like, he, she looks at him almost like he's quaint and all of this. And so there's a level of just lack of respect from her for him, at yeah. least right now. And, and so I think I just having, instead of having him then have to go on from Rebecca and experience a more legitimate and, and potentially long-term healthily long-term relationship. They have, they're, they're like, no, we're going to under underline the choice, the choices he's making of why he is like, why did he stay with Valencia forever? And then immediately go to Rebecca and now immediately to Anna and like the, the giving him more desperation, making um him putting him a little bit more in the Rebecca role in that in his new relationship than um in the he was obviously with with Rebecca, I think is interesting. And so we'll see how that develops, I guess, for right now. But um, because they could have gone very different ways with that, and she could have been, she's like this idealized vision sort of when we see her in her first episode when she shows up briefly. So. Um, they very quickly pop that bubble for the audience, uh, though Josh is still seeing what he wants to see. Uh, I think it's a good, a good thing to to explore and to to show again how it's not just that Rebecca tricked him, but that's how he ended up staying in a relationship. That's how he ended up engaged to Valencia when they clearly needed to break up, and that's how he ended up with Rebecca. Um, and so I, I like that they're continuing that pattern. Yeah, that's no, those are good points. And I think a lot of this is just me not totally remembering the episode as well. Just remembering when I finished the episode and going, 
I didn't particularly like that um, very mm-hmm. much, but I don't think I. Th- I think you've made me reconsider Anna in different ways, which I think is helpful. And so I'll probably go back and rewatch this uh, sometime before um, the next episode, which is has a terrific title um, <laughs> of "Who is Josh's Soup Fairy." it's just like that's fantastic um that uh i'll try and reevaluate uh anna more watch it more with an eye to anna but i like all this all your discussion about how josh fits into this as quaint is i think a really good description for josh um in any number of ways but i mean he is he is fairly kind of conservative and old-fashioned in a lot of ways i think and I quite nicely sums that up. And I think that that's a really, that's a really interesting dynamic for the show to explore with someone who isn't Valencia, who wanted something kind of settled and Rebecca who wanted some sort of idealized type of relationship. So now she, he's with someone who just sees him as very much as the puppy he can be. Um, except when he ends up like getting pushed, he can become a little more self-assertive and self-aware. But until then, he's like you said, just someone who can't totally be alone anymore. So we'll see how long he can kind of tolerate. Once he realizes he's being kind of taken advantage of how long he'll stick around or if he'll even realize it because he doesn't want to have to be alone again. Yeah. Well, and, and how, if this will be the relationship that, makes him go okay it's not just two this is a three this is a pattern i am choosing controlling people um and i should address me the me part of that equation or else it's going to keep happening um and and i also think it's a important distinction between anna and rebecca because rebecca though she you know even just from the the jet battle song she uh, has a background, like she went to, to Harvard and Yale, but also she's like been to, like worked in Ghana for at least a little bit. Like she's traveled different places. She's much more worldly than Josh. She, the problem with New York was not New York. He went to New York and was like, no, run away. But she never looked down on him for that. She never was like, oh, that's so cute. You don't know real things. The yeah. way that Anna seems to, at least so far. Um, so I think that's an important distinction. And uh, while she's not trying to manipulate him into feeling things for her the way that Rebecca was to Josh, I think it's interesting that – I keep saying interesting. But I think it's it's neat to see the show, like, switching those two dynamics. So the ways in which this is a healthier relationship for Josh because, you know, she's not doing the stuff that Rebecca was doing to manipulate him. But she also doesn't respect him in, in in the same way that Rebecca does. So it's it's like, I don't know. I think there's there's fun stuff that they could play with there. We'll see if they do. Um, I also really like the stuff with Paul and Scott. I thought that was terrific. And I like that they um, – I'm, ass, I'm assuming they're setting up a, a love interest for him at work. But then they're not going to just do the same thing they did with Paul in season one. I think they're going to subvert that. I mean, go a different way with it. That's what I'm anticipating. And I think that's, I think that's neat um, and, and could be a lot more fun. It's great to, to see them giving him even more dimension. And um, 
Uh, yeah, as as for the Rebecca and 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 Paula, I, I do really like the, <laughs> the song they have at the end. Yes, it's cheesy and ridiculous, and obviously they're paying homage to, to heart. But um, uh, that that just that idea of the yeah, this is terrible. And I'm really sorry, and I definitely this is totally on me. But you have to apologize first. I think haven't we all felt that? No, we have. That number is also uh, really good. I uh, I really liked that as well. But there is very much a yeah. I've well, I've never felt that because I'm almost always the first person to apologize. <laughs> um. So uh, yeah, I I I I understand what it means through having watched it on other television shows. <laughs> um. But I've never experienced that firsthand. Um. In part because I always want to be the bigger person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the but, biggest person of all. <laughs> yes, um, but no, it's it's mostly just because I'm by nature generally kind of apologetic, mm. and I apologize for things that aren't even my fault, as you're well aware. <laughs> and um, so I, I I understand that, and it's very funny, like song and everything, but. Yeah, I've I personally never experienced that, and I'm sorry that I haven't. See, I just did it. <laughs> that is ridiculous, sir. Uh, well, let's move on then to our our week in drama. Here we have Elementary. It serves you right to suffer, and we thought we should check in on this one because we were questioning the Shimwell uh, um, arc from earlier in the season, and this is the episode where they played, paid it off and showed what they were kind of doing. And I, I was a little surprised. I thought it was more interesting than maybe what I was expecting. I don't think it earned all the time and the, the poor execution of what we had seen previous to this, but I thought this was a solid episode. What did you think about this one? Yeah, I agree that it's, it wasn't totally worth the buildup in a lot of ways, because I felt like um, within the context of the episode, and given how they played Shinwell, um, that a lot of this could have just been, hey, did you remember operating me on years ago? This is the first time I've been on the show. Hi. And it would have had basically the same effect almost on me, which is not a good sign for your new, your seasoned regular character that you brought onto the show. And my immediate response is you could have just been a case of the week as opposed to a, a character that's shown up every week so far. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because it was because, again, everything about his like I I just didn't because we didn't buy into his relationship with Jones. Then that didn't add extra layers and context to this one, other than just give them a reason to to pursue it. But I mean, I think that they're both curious and stubborn enough that they didn't really need all that extra theoretical motivation that we weren't really feeling. Um, how did you how do you feel about the end of the episode or like the way that this resolves? Are you hoping we'll see more of this character? Do you think they can just pretty much, you know, send Poochie off to his home planet? <laughs> well, uh, Shin Will's a regular character this season. Uh, so we so know the answer I, to that. <laughs> we know the answer to that. He He's going to stick around for a, uh, a while now. Um, can't, uh, so for better or for worse, he's here. I was... I wasn't sure. See, the end of the episode, I think it has next to nothing to do with Shinwell. And everything to do with the fact that even we're in season five now, right? Yeah. yeah. Season, yeah, we're in season five now. I think even within con, 
confines of season two that Sherlock wouldn't have done this. And he did this for Joan in a lot of ways in terms of making sure that this part of her life wasn't something that got ruined in a lot of ways or like this was something that Joan had invested time in and to try and help Shinwell. And based on his conversation with uh, Marcus, he didn't want her to have to deal with this idea that Shinwell would just have gone back to his old ways as soon as he got back into prison. And so he basically commits a felony by tampering, or he commits a crime. I'm not sure if tampering with evidence is a felony. It probably is. Mm. But he commits a crime in tampering with evidence to make sure that Shinwell doesn't go back to prison. And I think that's something, like I said, that he just wouldn't have done. And I think that speaks volumes about how much he values Joan's well-being. And because I still, even within the context of this episode, and even though Shinwell is very clearly a victim of an FBI, corrupt FBI agent, um, I don't think that there's enough in here for to justify this action outside of him doing this for Joan because I don't believe that Sherlock has any extra connection to Shinwell as a result of him being a victim of this and to the point where even though Shinwell's innocent and so far as he was helping thought he was helping the FBI I refuse to believe that Sherlock wouldn't have moved heaven and earth to clear an innocent man of this if he could have through legal means. And so doing this illegal thing, I think is more about Joan than it is necessarily about Shedwell, because I keep thinking that it would have just been really easy for him to go to the captain who was noticeably absent this week because he was behind the camera. Aiden Quinn directed this episode and did a fabulous job. And so that's kind of where I was with the ending. How did you read the ending? Did you like, did you as over, I feel like I've overthought the ending a little bit. But that's what we're supposed to do here. That's kind of our thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's our thing. Yeah. Uh, so how did you feel about the ending? And I think my only other question is, how great was it to see character actor whose name I can't remember as the detective, the lady detective mm-hmm. this week? Because she's fabulous. And I wish I could remember her name right off the top of my head. And I can't. Dave, and I feel really bad about it. Debbie Ma- uh, Mazar. Yes, Debbie Mazar, who I, it was just a treat for her to show up. And I just went, I want you to come back all the time now. I don't care if it's a different precinct. You realize that you could be watching her on Younger. That's right. She is on Younger. Yeah. I forgot. She's the best friend, She's right? She's the best friend, yeah. Um, yeah. It was lovely to see her. Well, she, when she shows up, I was like, why do you cast her to have two scenes? Um, but, you know, the end of the episode tells us that because – She's going to be coming back, and this is going to be coming back, and this is going to be our end of season, last few episodes when it gets found out, and then Sherlock is in trouble again, and and that the baggage that comes with that ending is more the issue for me than the actual ending itself. So um, I thought that the scene worked well. I thought it was it was an interesting statement, like you're saying, on Sherlock and and his relationship with Joan and what he feels is is best and and versus what we know she would say um versus what maybe she would want even if she wouldn't say it you know like i i think there's a lot to to unpack in that last scene i think that last 
that the decision we get from Sherlock. Um, if you want to, there's a lot to dive in with. Um, however, yeah, I just I'm not excited for what this very likely will mean at the end of the season. Yeah, because they're obviously setting, like you said, like uh, I didn't know Debbie Mazar was going to be back. I so just assume she is. I don't know that she is. Oh. Oh, but okay. yeah, that's Kate, why. Stop, stop doing limitless again. I'm not doing limitless, <laughs> but I just, that's why you cast someone that that is that recognizable and known for a two scene thing. It's because oh, you're intending or at least leaving the door wide open to bring her back. Right. Well, I mean, she's also like she's an actor who's working in New York, and with the Good Wife not no longer working elementary can start snatching up all those character actors and theater actors who are maybe not so busy anymore. Um, but no, they're obviously setting up some kind of an end game in which that this will, like you're right, come back towards the end of the season in some capacity. And I'm not quite sure if I'm particularly interested in that end game, but I think that also feeds into what you and I have discussed um, off and on whenever we discuss elementary so far this year is that, well, guys, we just really want you to be season three again, please. Mm. And thank you. And um, maybe like they're ramping up to something that I'm not anticipating. And I am so game for that uh, because I like when elementary surprises me. In more in even beyond like having twisty turning cases of the week, I I just like when elementary surprises me. So we'll see. But I'm right now. I'm not super compelled by oh Sherlock will have to leave the police force maybe. Except if we back in the season premiere because they don't want to lose Aiden Quinn and the fellow who plays Marcus, whose name I can't remember. And I feel really bad about that because he's also really good. I'm forgetting a lot of actors' names today. I'm chalking it up to the fact that we were up really late last night. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll see. Um, but like, like, like we've kept repeating before, like we're going to keep watching Elementary. We're not at a point where we're going to stop watching Elementary, if only because Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu turn in really great work week after week after week after week. And also because I get to be jealous of the fact that I really want Joan's wardrobe. Who doesn't? Well, right, thinking Who he doesn't? Doesn't, does not want that <laughs> right. entire wardrobe. Yeah. Even just to look at on hangers because they're pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even her pajama game is on oh, point. Oh, her Kate. pajama game is like one of the strongest corners of her wardrobe. It's so on point. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to stop watching it. And, and another thing to, you know, reason why at least I keep watching is just because it's nice to have a procedural that I'm not worried about having, uh, you know, unnecessary violent uh, scenes uh, with with people being attacked. Uh, yeah. Women specifically, but just people in general. It's nice to have a procedural that I'm not ever worried is going to go into criminal minds territory. And um, and that isn't part of a franchise. There's not very many of those um, that I can think of, at least. Maybe there's more that I should be aware of and listeners can chime Bones. in with that um, in its final season. Um, but, um, yeah, Rosewood. that's it's 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 an easy watch. And. I like having a few of those. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens next, I guess. Um, our last show in our week in TV this week is not an easy just, watch at times. Um, just, I'm crying right now already. Okay. Okay. This is Rectify. And we haven't talked about it for a while. Um, Noel's been caught up, but I have not. 
I apologize for that, listeners. Uh, but this week we had the finale, All I'm Saying. So I caught up for, for this, of course. And, um, Noel, I know you were also very excited about this final episode. Well, excited isn't the right word. But... <laughs> yeah, excited, but also he didn't want it to go. But also, you know, many things. I'm sure lots of conflicted emotions for Rectify. I'm going to start us, though, okay. with, I think, the most uh, iffy aspect of this season how do you feel about chloe now that all is said and done how do you feel about chloe the character the writing the performance from caitlin fitzgerald on the whole did she end up working for you okay so i feel like those are two kind of separate things and that i really like fitzgerald's performance in a lot of ways i thought it was very arch and wry in a lot of ways and purposefully kind of funny in a way that's different from the show's kind of dry humor. Uh, It's a very kind of different sensibility that she was bringing to the show's humor outside of course of like Melvin who remains fantastic um, even in the end here. (laughs) Um, As a character i kind of refused to engage with her as a character and the finale really kind of solidified that notion for me in that i wasn't supposed to treat her too much as a character and more as a symbol of a uh a a pregnant woman with an absentee father who then we have a weird heavenly like sequence in a field in which daniel is dreaming of redemption and it's just she she never felt like a character in terms of her writing she always felt like a avenue for daniel to the life that daniel could possibly one day have once he feels he's earned slash can accept having that kind of a life and I really feel like that's what that kind of that closing sequence is supposed to relay to us, since it's very much, I feel like, associatively supposed to be within his headspace that he's imagining that. So that's kind of where I landed with Chloe is that she was very much never a character so much as a symbol, a device for Daniel and I never really felt like she was supposed to be anything more than that even from her a uh, couple of introductions or her uh playfulness in the country musician's uh house where they're just ransacking his fridge for stuff so that's kind of where I landed on Chloe as much as I like that performance I she's less of a character and more of a symbol and a goal in a lot of ways how did you now i'll turn your question back onto you and ask how you felt about fitzgerald and chloe and so on so yeah i i think you summed up a lot of it and i I just don't have words for how disappointing it is that they never made her a character this is a show that is very happy to have have its you know primary figures and supporting uh figures be symbols, but also be very well fleshed out and examined and considered people as well. The humanity of each of these characters, introducing Ted Jr. as what he was in the first few episodes, and then saying, aha, 
now we're gonna make you like him <laughs> oh god you know it's so much it's so amazing it's so so terrific the work that they've done with each of these different characters except chloe and why it is it, in, the, in the episodes where because uh, the episodes where she really worked for me was the second to last episode um yes she was terrific and it was because it was about her it was about her in not wanting to the stuff with the packing i thought was really good um all this different back and forth like when she got to you know exist when you know the sense that she was still there when daniel left then all of a sudden i was like oh i really like chloe this is okay they're turning me around yay okay and then immediately by the end i'm like ah oh, yeah we're back to this and i get what she represents I understand that, and I and it makes sense for that to be something that Daniel is really caught up in. But I, as much as I do love this show, the, this last season is soured for me somewhat by the fact that we've got the rectified version of a manic pixie dream girl. And I, I really wish that wasn't the case. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that, because I was reading... Um... Sites' review of this season, he actually says that she comes right up on the edge of that, but they never actually do that. And I think that the reason that he can he can stake that ground is the fact that Daniel isn't redeemed by the end of the season by her. He just dreams of redemption through her. And those that's kind of different, but it's yeah. still right. Exactly, you're splitting a hair. It's it's not a fine hair, but it's a hair. And I think that's where he can take that ground. But I also think that you're correct in that it's if Rectify actually redeemed Daniel in this sense, it wouldn't have necessarily been Rectify because redemption comes through other aspects, not just one person. And it comes from within is really like, for me, it was one of Rectify's big takeaways is that that kind of a redemption and renewal you have to find within yourself in a lot of ways. And I think that really comes through with Ted Jr.'s arc in any number of ways. But I think that your point is still really, really well taken and correct. Yeah, the, I, on, on Rectify, the victory is not him being redeemed. The victory is him getting to a place where he can imagine a time when he can be redeemed. Yes. That is the victory. That's something more than that was never going to be rectified. That's not what the show is. And, um, and so I, yeah, I think that, that for me, that's a misread of the show and what the show's priorities are and what it's, it's state, it's per, uh, opinion and its perspective on human existence and in life has always been, um, yeah, so I, I think that's, uh, yeah, I, di I disagree with Mr. Zollerstein on that one. Um, but, um, get in line. I disagree with him pretty much every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did actually end up really liking a lot of the season and, and Ted Jr. I think is just such the, the, the character to point to for that. I can't, I can't tell you how much Clean Crawford killed me in this stuff with, with Tawny, like, the, the arc that they give him and Tawny in this season and, and the, when he asks for the divorce. Oh, oh please. I humbly request. It's just like, oh, so good. And, and then, and 
getting us like we're for a while we're rooting for tawny and him to to work it out before we can accept that what they need to accept that they just they need to move on basically that that they got married and tawny wasn't herself yet she hadn't decided that she should be her own person and you can again she's even just constantly deferring um in in so much of what she does and even just in, in like is i think it's the last episode or second to last episode um where she asks for for a drink um and he, he says he wants a coke and she's like yeah or water and you know that she just wants water uh but she won't say no but i would like water but her again like with daniel her saying not just taking the coke and drinking it even though she doesn't want it is the step in the right direction for her that actually is progress for her and ted jr hearing that and knowing that she means that she wants water is also a step in the right direction for him um yeah it, it and, and them just kind of th- that dynamic and this sense from ted jr that he needs to to she won't do what she needs to do for herself which is she the divorce and so he does it and the sacrifice of that but also knowing that it's for the best and knowing that like well not, and he's not some some amazing martyr either they're just again they're people they're so human that is always the word i think of when i think of rectify and and then juxtaposing them amicably separating with with Janet and Ted senior choosing to renew and strengthen their bond when things are at a breaking point. Um, it's just so lovely. And if I had to pick one, I'm going to pick Janet and Ted being okay over Ted junior and Tawny being okay. Uh, so I was very glad. I was very happy <laughs> if I had to pick, I'm, I'm glad with the way that they went. No, I would pick that too. And this reminds me of last week's, I want to say it was last week's episode where uh, Janet knocks to go into the bathroom to clean Ted Ted Senior's back, mm-hmm. and just Ted Senior's face during that scene mm-hmm. of just oh God, Kate, I was just like, I'm always a puddle mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm watching Rectify, but just the acting within that scene of just just this sense of needing people again, which is also it's just so very central to rectify um is that just that entire sequence i think is just really terrific and i just yeah yes all all of what you just said and then all to just keep talking about teddy is that not only him realizing what needed to be done between him and tawny but realizing what needed to be done between him and his father and stepping away and acknowledging the fact that he wasn't responsible for Ted Sr. any longer, any more than Ted Sr. was responsible for him any longer, and that they needed to have their own type of divorce in a lot of ways. And just them, his, hey, just going, Ted Jr. going into this kind of, hesitant kid mode of needing to tell his father that he's getting a divorce uh getting a divorce i should say not getting a divorce (laughs) but but also wanting his stepmother there with him when he does it i mean it's just such a 
it's such a, I need support to do this type of thing. And I need the support of more specifically, I need the support of a woman who's a mother to do this. And then they're just seeing the garage, which is from last week's episode um, where he just is like, we need to like, we don't need to sever ties as a family, but we need to sever ties in terms of thinking that we're responsible for one another 24 seven, basically that you have a support system. I need to start building a support system. That isn't just you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both need to start doing that and start taking responsibility for our own lives now. And again, it's just such a human maturation that I just, it's just, it's so good, Kate. Mm -hmm. And I, again, it just goes to what you were saying at the top where if you had told me that this is where Ted Jr. would have ended up, I would have just been like, in this few episodes? No. And yet I totally believe it. And I totally buy it in part because of how well plotted Ted Jr.'s arc was, but also because Clayne Crawford is a goddamn genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and making that arc just feel really, really seamless. But then the acting on this show overall is just too good to say no one on this show is not a genius because they're all geniuses. <laughs> the The... The Chloe arc is the part of the season that really st- sticks out to me, like a like a sore thumb. Um, sure. The part of the season that I'm happiest for, very close contention, second place, is the stuff we got for Janet, which just Jay Smith Cameron nailed it so good, and for Ted Senior. But I love where we got to with Amantha and Teddy. And them as a family, because they spent way more time with that group of people who was at the store at the end. That's been the family most of their lives. And so it was really great to see the show get get to that point where, where they're getting back to a semblance, some semblance of life before the inciting, you know, element of the series, which is 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 the DNA exonerating Daniel, or at least muddying the water enough to get Daniel out of prison, um, and and reminding the audience that with that like voiceover sort of from the the news report that this entire series takes place in less than a year. Uh, most of the seasons take place in a week. Um, I think is really really key. It's been a very fraught and intense span of time, span of months, but. Um, but this is what their life was before, at least dyna- like with the, the dynamics in the family. And now to see them start to be so in such a healthier place with each other at the end, even if that does mean Tawny leaving. Um, but but they have Melvin now, so it's okay. They have, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and and then to – and having Daniel not be there, not just like speeding through his – like we're flashing forward to when he it will theoretically be exonerated and be able to travel back to Polly, but having him – present but reachable only by phone i think is very intentional uh yeah. just like theoretically they could have called him before visited him through glass um and and so i, th- I think the you know the different elements of of this finale that really did work and and, and focusing in on um on 
at least in, in this season with Amantha, her relationship with John and then this new relationship and her no longer running away from Polly in the same way, um, repairing the, somewhat the relationship with Janet and Amantha and Amantha and Teddy in this last season has been, has been really terrific. And then I just, I can't tell you how happy I was to see Johnny Ray Gale show up as Kerwin again. I didn't, I had oh. no idea they were going to do that. And I was so glad they did. I was too that, um, I, but I felt like it was so necessary also after like Daniel recounting his rape scene that we needed at least one more visit to the prison. Um, and it was, it was just also really nice to go back to the shooting aesthetics of the prison as well. Cause I like, it felt like so long since we had visited the prison in a lot of ways that I returning to those overhead shots of the cells uh, was just, it felt, it felt like going home, which I felt like was again, really intentional in that Daniel has had maybe had enough distance, even though, like you said, it's only been like a matter of months since he's been released that this was still home and he's grappling with the fact that this was home for all intents and purposes for a whole large chunk of his life. And, but no, having Kerwin back was just great. Having that interplay with them in the car. Well, I say in the car, but it's in the car and just, it was, it was really emotional. Plus, I mean, we've also gotten to know the actor who plays Kerwin on multiple shows at this point now beyond rectify at least i have mm -hmm. and so adding those layers and going oh gosh yes oh wow why haven't more shows snapped you up to do every single damn thing sir <laughs> and it 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 was also i think just really necessary as as it was as necessary as that montage of all the residents of Polly was at the end of the episode during the uh, news conference was mm -hmm. and visiting people that we haven't seen. in I don't even can't even tell you how long the waitress. How cool was that? So cool. And so bringing all those people back plus bring going back to the prison just felt like as much of a season f series finale sort of thing as it felt like it needed to be as part of d this conclusion of Daniel's journey in him beginning to come to terms with through the therapy that he's doing at the university that we needed this one last moment of how complicated his life in prison was and how he navigated that and because the, sh the show's always been about how he navigated everything and still was is i mean just even within the confines of this finale just thinking about the weird sort of existential crisis that he puts his boss in mm -hmm. <laughs> of am i supposed to think about you outside of work and his boss going uh i I don't know <laughs> and how deeply confused he was about that because he's just taken anyway I'm getting off point but that everything from having Corwin come back to the prison to the poly citizens montage was it just felt like a really 
good way of the show saying goodbye to all of its elements in a way that made it deeply, deeply satisfying. For me, that end with the touching back in with all these different characters, however briefly, justified the arc that we got with John this season, which I also didn't buy. That also felt like a, oh, we didn't think we'd get a four season. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but when they did that, I was like, okay, well, this was their opportunity to reiterate the element of this sh- series that was watching the entire town react to this. Um, they needed some new development for them to, to, to warrant seeing these characters again. Um, and so that's what they, they went with. And that, that said sequence was, was very strong. Um, it's still like, I don't believe some of this other stuff that happened this season with John. Um, but I'm glad for the stuff that had dragged up with Amantha. Uh, yes. I'm glad for the opportunities it gave to see more uh, of the sheriff, who that is a character that they really turned around. He was such a thinly drawn character in the yes. first season. So I'm really glad the progress they made with that character as well. Um, and the DA, these other characters, uh, just to, to have them feel more fleshed out and, and, and more developed, um, yeah, it's. I. I mean, I would be hard pressed to to say the fourth season is one of the show's best, but I'm very glad we got it. Um, and I guess like my question for you about the fourth season, and this relates to like Chloe and John, um, but it doesn't relate to really anyone else. I feel like because everyone else's stories feel pretty tight is that how much of this do you feel like is just the nature of the very short season that they had of eight episodes, even though like the first season's only like what, six, six, right? Yeah. Um, right. They didn't feel interested in making Chloe a character. So I think if they had had more episodes, they wouldn't have. Okay. Uh, I, Cause they could have in this time. Absolutely. They could yeah. have. They're very talented storytellers over there at rectify. Um, this was a choice. Um, well, I don't quite understand it, but it was—it feels like a choice. Um, as for um, John, I just think they wrote themselves into a corner last season, and the most honest way out of that corner was John's not on the show anymore. <laughs> um, but they want—they they thought all this stuff was more important. So again, with more—I don't—I don't think more time, more episodes would have fixed that for me. Um, mm-hmm. They could if with more time they could have had a different character come in or something. I don't I just don't really I don't know. I don't what do you what do you think about it? Well, I agree with you, Reed Chloe, in that they made a choice, but I also feel like they would have given her more to do and like more space. Like I feel like given more time, I almost feel like maybe her sister from Ohio would have shown up at some point to create parallels between this idea of her family and the entirety of Daniel's family. Um, But I'm backseat writing here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like that that could have been an avenue for them to do. Uh, As for John, 
No, I think you were right in that. I don't think that there was any way for them to handle this other than the way that they handled it within the time frame. I don't even legitimately think that you needed John for a lot of this because I think that there's enough momentum with just the sheriff and the DA by this point that John's presence isn't completely and totally necessary except to serve as Daniel's legal representation and he could have just shown up for the final two episodes quite quite frankly, to be like, so we're pitching this to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation now, and you should let your client know, and we can go from there, depending on how this goes, and we can end his banishment from Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, I, I, the only thing that I'll say about that with John kind of being present in and out is that it provided closure with Amantha, and I wanted that because even after all this, Samantha, I think, is still my favorite character on the show. Um, uh, apart from Daniel, because I, I think Daniel should be everyone's favorite character. They're all my favorite character on the show. <laughs> I'm not choosing between my babies. <laughs> oh, like, Chloe will be very happy to know that you feel that way. She's not uh, a character. We've already <laughs> said this. Um, so... I, 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 I feel like that, that John was there to provide some sense of closure to Amantha in just that brief scene of him going, that must have been a really good pot on that satellite dish. <laughs> and them not having any like lingering types of feelings for one another, at least not that I read, because like you said, she's decided to embrace Polly and Polly. And he always represented a way out. Yeah. And she doesn't want a way out any longer. Yeah. 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 And, and it's, it's, it's so, it's so tied up in everything. That, that line from Jen, oh, you're my hero. Was so. Oh hard. God. Oh, I lost it. She's like, mother, that. <laughs> you could have demonstrated that in any way over the past 20 years. <laughs> and it's totally probably. true. Yeah. And I still, I, even though Amantha is totally right, as soon as Janet said that, I kind of started to cry just a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, because I still feel like that that was really true for Janet, even if she never expressed it. Well, she's like, oh, I just, just assumed now. you knew, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the last part, element of the season that we haven't mentioned that I think we'd be remiss to not mention is I have really liked the stuff we've gotten with the the group home uh, where yes, Daniel's been yeah. saying and, and the, the tensions there and the understanding there, uh, I thought has been really terrific. Uh, so I would, I don't have much to say about, about those characters and, and those, you know, performers other than good job all. Um, but yeah, I have also really liked the storytelling avenues that that has opened up specifically for Daniel because he can yes. examine himself with them in ways that, um, that he never could have at home. Well, one of the things I really liked, and that came through really clearly in the finale, in, in the final group like therapy scene, um, was that, oh, I can't remember his name, but the older gentleman who's in the group, basically kind of defusing a situation that was becoming very fraught very quickly because of where Daniel was, and the 
I don't want to say caretaker because the caretaker is not the right word, but supervisor isn't the right word mm -hmm. either. But the fellow who's in charge of the house, for want of a better phrase, um, wanting Daniel to adhere to a program and adhere to a path, and more importantly, adhere to a regimen. As important as those things are, those types of things are also part of institutionalization and parts of where humanity can get grounded down a little bit. And I think that, that him basically coming to Daniel's defense in a way that reaffirmed both positions, but very specifically reaffirmed Daniel's feelings and frustrations with his life, but still being able to put it back into perspective, I think is the value of all of those scenes is because, like you said, these are men who understand Daniel and that Daniel can talk to and that Daniel can feel comfortable around as very, as quickly as they kind of moved through that because, I mean, he's going to card games with them by the end of, like, episode two or three, I think. I think it's episode two. And I think, that, like you said, it's just deeply important for Daniel to see that kind of behavior emulated from people who have gone through a version of what he's gone through because again he was on solitary confinement on death row these men were not and that's that's very much a horse of a different color in any number of ways and but their overall understanding of daniel's frame of mind i think is really important and like you said it provides a way for Daniel to discuss these things in a way that he can't discuss it with literally anyone else that he knows. And it was so key to the season and building up to that final sequence of him seeing himself in the field with Chloe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It, obviously we are glad we got this season. I, is the, the thing I find so interesting about the season, it's like, well, some shows you'd be like, yep, shouldn't have done that storyline. Good wife shouldn't have done that election storyline, you know, like, <laughs> certain, you know, but you can't lift out the, the more, uh, the less executed, I should less perfectly executed, I guess, st parts of this season without sacrificing some of its strongest elements. Um, and, and I right. think that, uh, that speaks to how cohesive the show is in general and, and has been throughout its run. Um, yeah. So despite any grumbles I might have about elements of this season here and there, it, I still do think it's such, such a, such an achievement and such a terrific show, such a remarkable show. I, I'm glad that we've had a chance to really dive in with the finale this week and to, to enjoy the show over these four seasons. Peak TV, man. It might make our podcast lives very challenging, but it also gives us four seasons of Rectify. So I think we'll, I think we'll take it. We will absolutely take it. And I think my only other closing thought is if Aiden Young just signs on to do a generic act broadcast action series, I will be very upset. <laughs> well, somebody's <laughs> got to give him a role. Who's going to give him a character. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I, obviously I stopped watching Lethal Weapon quite vociferously a while back, but I'm still happy Clint Crawford's getting a big paycheck. Oh gosh. I, I, I can, I, I just hope that he just banks that paycheck 
and goes, all right, I can start doing like a little, another little mm -hmm. TV show. <laughs> and hopefully, um, uh, Abigail's Spencer. Um, Spencer. Okay. Cause I, every time I say Abigail Spencer, I'm always concerned. I'm saying the name of some mm -hmm. other actress. Um, but no, so I'm hoping Abigail Spencer is doing the same thing yeah. with Timeless. And even though I've also stopped watching Timeless, even though Timeless is perfectly inoffensive by and large, um, that I'm just like, it's just, it's just kind of yeah. boring. <laughs> yeah. But they're both really good in their respective shows, but that's more testament to them than it is the show yes, that they're currently, on. Yes. Well, and, and, and if nothing else, they have a terrific calling card as does this entire cast, um, to, to get them other, other gigs. Well, you say that, you say that, but the producers of Lethal Weapon hadn't watched Rectify when they cast. Let's just Wayne say Crawford. they weren't casting for Rectify. <laughs> They weren't casting for that. They just ended up with Clay Crawford, who can do Lethal Weapon and can also do what Remy McKinnon asked of him uh, on, on Rectify. So, um, yeah, we're sorry to see it go, but it's been a terrific run for this show and certainly one that I think, um, should they discover it, should they seek it out, will just grow in people's estimation over time. Any final thoughts? No, just that I'm both happy that we got four seasons, but I'm also happy, sad that we only got four seasons. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, as much as certain aspects of the show had run their course, that you know that this, if they wanted to, they could do a lot more. So I, I really look forward to whatever um, Ray McKinnon does next and yes. uh, the rest of this this writing team and uh, you know, these directors as well, because it's just such a lovely... Lovely show. Well, uh, what wins your week in TV? She asked, knowing the answer. Yeah, it's rectified. It's totally yeah. rectified. I'm assuming Definitely it's for you rectified. as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not even a question. Um, and now a few show notes here at the end of our week in TV. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can leave us a comment there. Let us know what you thought of the Rectify finale and the rest of the week's TV, including uh, the new show Star, which we didn't talk about. And, yes. uh, there, and you know, Sweet Vicious is still going. Oh, it was also it was really it was really good last week. It was good this week too, though. Things are turning up on that show, and I'm very excited. And I also forgot that there's a whole new DC superhero animated series that started this week. Whoops. Whoops. More on that in the new year, because of course, for the next two weeks we'll be doing our top twenty and our smorgasbordy. So uh, look for those. Look, yeah, you know, like this is us on the shorter end of episodes for us, you know this week's but um that will not be a problem next week so for th those of you who have long drives episodes will be dropping uh as usual or maybe probably uh earlier rather than later so you guys yeah, will be set got, for your drive we've got at least 40 shows to talk about next week guys so at many least... shows well yeah. there's gonna be plenty of overlap so we're gonna be talking about a lot of shows but it won't be 40 um you can also find us on facebook where we have you can like the page and start up a conversation there you can find us in stitcher you can leave us rate and review us there you can find us in the itunes with an m4a chapter feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed um and of course you can always email us at televerse at gmail.com we are both up on twitter i'm at the televerse and noel you are at Noel RK. 
And uh, you can also find uh, some of our previous writing for the year uh, over at the AV Club for myself and TV.com for Noel. Um, yeah. And, and TVGuide.com, too. And yeah. TVGuide.com. Yes, of course. Um, and then uh, for now, though, we will take a break, listen to uh, a little clip, and come back with Sean Coletti of TV Roundtable to talk about Enlightened. So we'll be right back after this. Sometimes I think about someone else's life. I imagine all the love they do not have. I see the passion that's missing. The friends they don't know. And the awful pressures that crush them. In those moments, I realize how much I have and how much I have to give. Hey, Tyler. Wanna have lunch today on me? Sure. Cool. <laughs> so, um, what, what do you like to eat? Oh, uh, I don't care. We can um, just go to the sandwich shop or... Hey, Amy, hi. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry if I was weird yesterday. It's just so awkward with all those people and the whole thing. And Anyway, um, my lunch canceled, and I'm free if you want to go now. Oh, well, actually, I have plans with my friend Tyler. Well, it's okay. We could go another time or... No, I invited you, and we're going to lunch. Sorry. I guess we'll have to put a pin in it. <laughs> okay. We'll have fun. Thanks, you too. You always uh, lived in Riverside? Huh. No, I don't, actually, I, I, I don't live in Riverside. I live in Yucaipa. Yucaipa, where's that? We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick, and this week on the DVD shelf. Excited because we have returning to the DVD shelf a uh, friend of the show, former co host from TV Roundtable, Sean Coletti. Sean, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be talking about this show. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about a show that I know is dear to many, uh, many uh, friends of the show, uh, dear to us, uh, and that is Enlightened. But I think we're the entire audience, right, for the show? Like, no one watched it. Nope, no one. Yeah. No. I didn't even watch it until Amazon got it on, got it. So that's that's how little I contributed. <laughs> well, Sean, what made you want? Well, first of all, what is enlightened for those of among our listenership who missed it, which again, a lot of people did. And what made you want to talk about it this week? Uh, enlightened was uh, a half hour series that aired on HBO and got canceled before its time. Uh, it was created by Mike White and Laura Dern, and Laura Dern stars in it, and is about Dern's character, Amy Jellicoe. Um, and to describe it in terms of plots, I think would kind of do it injustice, because the experience of Enlightened doesn't really come from its plot, even though it has to kind of piece together one, just in terms of having the structure for the series. Uh, it's very much in the same vein, I think, as shows like Parks and Recreation or Transparent thematically, in the sense that it's trying to provide its audience 
as wide a scope of perspective as possible. So it has its its thing that it wants to do, and in Leiden's case, it that thing I think might be. And we can talk about uh, variations on this, or if you disagree, but um, wanting to show an audience. Oh boy. See, this this thing is big. This is a big show. Uh, <laughs> how do you talk about this? But wanting to show an audience that, that there exists a, a world outside a single selfish perspective, I think you, you see that transition in Amy from the beginning until the early end. Um, and part of that comes with surrounding her with people who have vastly different perspectives. And I think that's the same thing with Parks and Rec and Transparent and a few other shows. Um, but really, this is just big character work um, that starts from an internal space, I guess. That might be the best I can do. <laughs> well, I never would have made that connection to Parks and Rec. So I, you just started to, to describe that. I was like, wait, how is he going to – How I'm – huh. But that is an interesting way to think about it. I, I never thought about it that way. I always focus so much in on Amy and – and her as uh, one of the more interesting, difficult women characters that have been more popular on TV in recent years. Um, because I kind of hate her. She's like insufferable in the beginning. But they, at least for me, uh, but they make her so human that even as she's being obnoxious, Early on, you can always see at the core of the performance and the writing, um, you can always see the humanity, the self-doubt, the the posturing that is going along with some of what she's saying, as well as the the well-intentioned uh, like seed driving a lot of what she's doing. Um, is, is that not just the perfect description of Leslie Nope as well? You, and that's exactly, that's the thing. Only we all love Leslie. And Amy's much more challenging. And so I, that's an interesting parallel to, to make. Had you thought of that, Noel? Uh, as soon as uh, Sean mentioned that, um, and this is where I admit that I just don't particularly like Parks and Rec that much. Um, so Bless I've never me. Watched... Oh, yeah. Yeah, off the podcast. Okay, you guys have fun. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow, Kate. No, um, no sleep no. for anyone. <laughs> Listeners, we're ah, recording ah. at a very interesting hour because, of course, Sean is in the UK right now, so uh, bear with us. <laughs> Go ahead, Noel. <laughs> no, um, but no, as soon as Sean said that he connected to Parks and Rec, I immediately saw where he was going with it and that Amy is a very thinks of herself as a very change-oriented person and is to a certain extent change-oriented but the way in which she goes about her program of change while different from Leslie's in a number of ways considering that Leslie is a government employee and Amy is very much not um, that they're both trying to change the world for better according to their own particular perspective and they're constantly butting up against folks who may not agree with them or may not want to go as quickly as they want things to happen. And I think that that's where Sean was going with that. And I very much would agree based on even like my cursory experience watching Parks and Rec, but also just my general sense of how people respond to Leslie Nope, that Amy is very much sort of a positive inversion if you want to go that if that makes any sense of um leslie hmm. interesting 
Um, the other, there, there are a bunch of really significant supporting characters on the show. Um, I'm curious if you guys all gravitate to the same ones that I do, or if you have your own that, that you really connect to. Obviously, um, there, there, there's an episode like the second to last episode of the first season, Consider Helen, um, which focuses all on Amy's mother, played by Diane Ladd, who's, of course, Laura Dern's mother. Um, it is a real terrific spotlight for that character. But on the whole, we don't get – and there's also one that we get, an episode that we get that really focuses in on Mike White's character and Molly Shannon's character as well. But on the whole, the – the the supporting characters are very much that they very much are supporting the action and informing and putting new context and new um perspective on the choices and the actions of of amy do you guys have you know aside from those spotlight episodes do you guys have characters you particularly gravitate towards i think just pausing for those stoplight episodes is really important um the two that you mentioned, one of which, the Mike White one, uh, the ghost is seen, is especially considered one of the better episodes uh, of this series, even though there isn't much of the series, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, like, so, okay, this is bad, because we always want to support the people who champion little shows like this, but then if they're ones that really mean something to you, you kind of want them to go even further in their support. Um, friends of this show, I know, um, Mo Ryan and, and Ryan McGee constantly talk about the ghost is seen uh, in reference to Enlightens. And to me, it's only one part of three that really shows what the, the supporting cast of this series does. The other two, one of which you mentioned, Consider Helen with Diane Ladd and, and to me, episode three in season two, uh, which is Higher Power with Luke Wilson Levi. To me, that, that that's the other one that rounds out kind of the the exemplar three episodes that show how necessary it is to surround people, um, to surround Amy with other people in her life that challenge her in some way. And I think all three of those episodes do a great job of giving a different perspective. Um, they all give those characters a chance to narrate in some form. With Helen, it's a little bit different because the narration we get is, is kind of memory-based and it's very patched together and we don't get the entire picture we have to infer some things but with Levi and with um, Tyler they actually get chances to narrate those episodes in the same kind of grandiose and platitudinal ways that that um, the Amy narrates most of the series which is really fantastic and it's it's kind of common I think if, if you watch a lot of tv to gravitate to the special episodes that do something different and I think in this case, it's wholly warranted. And at the same time, it's not just them in these episodes. It's like Amy is in all three of those episodes and exists in the worlds of those episodes. And that is just as important to me. But I, I would say those three characters, uh, there are other minor characters like Ducky and, uh, and other people who are fun and funny and are good narrative devices or, or narrative pivots. But in terms of the heart of the show, I think those three characters are it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And toss in something like The Weeknd as the first start of that bookend with um, Higher Power, where we really get a sense of how Levi has been behaving and how Amy's perception... The Weeknd really informs like 
Levi's realization that the best person he's ever been is the guy who Amy always imagined he was. And I feel like that that without the weekend, you can't some of higher power just doesn't land as well because you really need to see the two of them trying to well Amy trying to recapture this one moment that she remembers very very well and then you need to be able to see Levi through her eyes in this sense to have that moment land in terms of you we watch Levi just kind of spiral at the rehab clinic and then realize that he wants to be better on some level and yeah so I think that Sean's absolutely right. Like when I was rewatching these, like I went back, I was jokingly texting to someone that the ghost is seen as just a Mike White vanity episode. It's just like, oh, I finally get to awkwardly flirt with Molly Shannon, a dream come true. <laughs> and, but it's still just such a really good episode because it just kind of sneaks up on you in a lot of ways where it's just like, oh, we're going to do this thing to further the plot for the CEO thing to take down Abaddon. And then it just becomes this really sweet, tragic kind of episode where you realize as the because it comes like right in the begins the second half of the season that there's something really tragic about to happen because of how this is going to play out. And it's just really fun to watch that happen. Well, not fun, but it's really (laughs) it's not fun, but it's it's really enjoyable. It's not even enjoyable, but it's really well structured and it's really heartbreaking to watch it happen. But then to also have that kind of welling up when um, Elaine, no, not, is that her name? Molly Shannon's character? Eileen, thank you. Um, goes back to Tyler at the end of Agent of Change, despite his role and everything. And it's just, it's really, really good. And yeah, I can't say enough about those particular episodes. And I, ugh, Dougie's just the worst. <laughs> he's the worst i mean just yeah you got laid man life's too short yeah high five and it's just like oh dougie you're the worst oh dougie um of course uh levi is um played by uh luke wilson and dougie by tim sharp and uh yeah they are they really everybody does come together so nicely in this ensemble to contribute to the whole like if you didn't have a strong flavor in Dougie that those scenes wouldn't work the stuff that we get in especially in the second season in Abaddon it just wouldn't it wouldn't work um and and Luke Wilson this has got to be the role of his career right how dare you 100% on a performance and level, not yeah. acknowledge Royal Tenenbaums. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's <clears throat> that's a good question. Like his work yeah. with Wes Anderson is very good, um, and Laura Dern's work with David Lynch has been really good. But at the same time, I think Enlightened is probably their peak acting. No, I, I I'd agree. Like I act well. I was watching this. I kind of went. What did we do to Luke Wilson that he just went away? Because it feels like he went away, except he was on roadies, but nobody watched roadies. Fewer people watched roadies than watched Enlightened, probably. Yeah, that that, that is based on the amount of it I saw. That was a good choice. Um, But yeah, they're they're terrific. They really are. And yet the character I gravitate towards of the ones we've talked about is is Tyler, is Mike White. Because you just want to like, you just want to protect him. You just want to like 
make sure everything is going to go okay in his life. And it's not. It's all. And that's, you know, his doing as well as other people's. But the the performance um, from him and just and the, the conception of that character, I, I'm not familiar enough with his other work. I loved his time on uh, Amazing Race, his various seasons <laughs> on The Amazing Race. Two, really enjoyed. two seasons, yeah. Yes. Um, but I have not done my due diligence to exi- to like go and check out his, his catalog of work because based on how strongly I respond to Enlighten and to the 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 craft of it even just like the the directing choices are often really interesting and and uh like the the looks great visually and and obviously he wrote every episode of the show as well as directing several of them many of them um so i have a feeling i would love mike white's movies if i actually ever took the time to sit down and watch them but um that he, you know that's a kind of character that soft spoken character uh kind of pushover character who needs to learn how to value himself and assert himself we've seen that played by a lot of different people in a lot of different stories a lot of different films and tv and 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 books and everything uh any any medium that's a popular kind of character but i try i struggle to think of a version of this character that's more effective to me um than than Tyler. It benefits, yeah, if you write and direct and yeah. conceptualize the series. But that, that character is fantastic. And, and even though maybe consider Helen um, is the most emotionally powerful of those three episodes, for me, I think that Tyler and Levi across the two seasons uh, become clearer characters than Helen, who kind of takes a back seat in the second season, which is fine. It's not that they needed to do more of her. I think that episode kind of accomplishes everything that that character needs. Um, but it just means that, yeah, Levi and Tyler, I think, are, are my two favorite supporting characters. And this, this cast is ridiculous. It's it insane. Jason Manzoukas, McKenna well, Watkins. We, we got to talk Wright. about Jason Manzoukas because... I love him in this and I think he's hilarious and I keep seeing him in many other things and he's always terrific, but I don't think I've ever, the, the balance of the character, like he, I, he works really well in Brooklyn nine, nine right now, actually because of the way that they deploy him within the ensemble cast. But I just remember watching him on, Oh man, on the league. Every time we'd show up on the league, I just be, so, I'd be like, you're so good on enlisted. Why are you so terrible in this? You're so terrible. The right they let you just do anything and it's not good. Um so so I think I think I think again this is another for me uh the where I think Menzoukas's performance in Enlisted is the most uh, sorry in the, although I would have loved to have a second season of Enlisted so he could be on that as well. In Enlightened is the most I've ever connected with and enjoyed a Menzoukas performance and that's a guy who's really funny in just about everything he does. Yep. Um you mentioned Molly Shannon already. Uh, Ricky Lindholm is part of Garfunkel and Oates. Dermot Mulroney has a major role in the second season. Um, the late James Rapborn plays Big Bad CEO. Uh, it's it's fantastic. And, and everybody, as soon as like, if you've seen Enlightened and, and you name all of those people, it's very clear in your head who they are and what they did on the show. And that doesn't happen very often. And yeah, Matsukas, I think, is another one who is as good as I've seen him here. And uh, 
plays another interesting Abaddon employee that surrounds Amy. Uh, and unfortunately, gets thrown under the bus. And but that's you know it's it's a necessary thing to kind of show to what extent Amy's willing to go to to accomplish what she's trying to do at Abaddon. See, this is again why it's so difficult to talk about enlightenment. We've we've mentioned Abaddon and and not explained exactly what it is that Amy does as a profession and and what uh, this whole like whistleblowing um, plot is that that gives enlightened structure and framework. But it's also kind of not really that important in many ways yeah i was about to say like this idea i mean it's your standard kind of generic feel corporation that like pitches itself as a feel good type of company while being totally fine with the fact that it has lead in its tampons and that kind of a thing and I, th I think that it, all that matters is that it sounds like a real corporation with the name Abaddon and that all we see of it are like the people in boardrooms, but also things like uh, what stands out the most to me is uh, when Amy gets finally gets called up to uh, the CEO's office and on the screen is just pictures of bees, drones working. And I mean, it just it's a really nice little it's not subtle nice little moment of basically saying look we care about nature we're showing bees but in fact this is just a really nice way for us to talk about the drones that how we treat our employees particularly amy and everyone else that works in the data entry place down in the basement mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah it's it's not always going for subtle with yeah. enlightened and that's okay mm -hmm. it's going it's 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 trying to get you to feel and to connect to amy's experience and I don't know. I think I think uh, you know we're talking as as uh, this week rectify, which is so often such a subtle show as how does series finale, another show that we absolutely love. Sometimes subtlety is exactly what you need, and sometimes it's overrated. And the I think enlist is it, I keep I keep doing that. I, keep, <laughs> I think enlighten is a show that balances that well, that knows when to just step back and rely on its performers to react to something and when to just just go for it just we're going to name the company we're going to name the evil corporation Abaddon I mean that's perfect um and and that that again that blend of comedy and drama of of on the nose uh you know visuals and naming and uh, you know plot points when they come up at various points um with really subtle very human reactions to things um, this is a show that, that balances I mean, even just again we have Mike White and Jason Manzukis <laughs> working together um, playing kind of the kind of roles that we usually see them play at least versions of them and Manzukis should blow White off the stage like you shouldn't be able to even just they, they shouldn't be able to exist in the same show but they're balanced and incredibly well to make this larger whole because it has such a great understanding of its tone uh, and rectify, I think, a good, great point of comparison. And also um, another recent series, One Mississippi, that aired on Amazon, I think had a somewhat similar tone in many ways and a balance between comedy and drama. It's really remarkable how, how they can do that with such a varied cast. And it's a, a testament, I think, to the technical crew here, who, which includes... In season one, Jonathan Demme, as a director of two episodes, 
the fucking Silence of the Lambs guy. We <laughs> have to have a, yeah. X degrees of Hannibal separation whenever we all talk. Of um, course. That's but yeah, it's, it's such a refined visual and oral palette that you you know and love the the enlightened theme by the end of it and it's really beautiful well i'm glad you brought up like um the directors because i mean it's a really good stable of directors that they picked up for this like um of course you had the director for chuck and chuck and buck which starred mike white and but then you've also got nicole hofsener and then um, Phil Morrison, who directed Junebug, and then you had Todd Haynes for one episode um, in season two, episode six. And it's just, it's a really nice collection of really talented directors uh, coming to really, to continue to execute like White's vision and Dern's vision, but still feel distinct when they come in to do an episode. And it's also just further proof that I just really want some show to lock down, halt, Hall, 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 Hall of Cena for like an entire series and just let her let her work because I mean I love her to death but I've always wanted like a show to ha- just let her go loose on a show for like a run of episodes but she also directed like three episodes of One Mississippi I think mm-hmm. so there you go so all sorts of really nice connections we're drawing and she did like four episodes of Parks and Rec too I think mm. I had no idea yeah. honestly so I feel smarter now. <laughs> <laughs> well, then my job is done. Well, let's talk when you're talking about the 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 beauty that comes through in in this show at times, sometimes visually and sometimes just in its in the way that it draws you in. Let's talk a bit about the finale because I love the way that the series finale. First of all, I would, I would love to have gotten more en- enlightened, but I think the the way it ends is is just about perfect for this show. I think it's a terrific uh, series finale. And what kills me every time is that I buy it. And there's no reason that I should. There's no reason to think she's not just going to immediately backslide. But I want to believe that she has reached this awareness and this healthier perspective with herself in the world in the finale. And so I, I guess that I do. I just I don't it's, it's in the it's in the direction and in the performance and in how everything comes together. I actually believe the ending, even though my brain is telling me that this is still Amy Jellico. How do you guys relate to the finale? Yeah, that's the huge coup of the finale being only a two season series. Is that I think it allows you to have that reaction and not really worry about, oh, if this had gotten three or four more seasons, how would they have avoided being too repetitive when it came to Amy's character being wishy-washy and, and not really sure about how she felt about her development uh, post-recovery. So I buy into it as well. And I think the show wants you to do that, um, not just for that season, of course, because that's probably obvious but i think as a more general take on on what enlightened tries to do uh, as a piece of writing it, it wants you to have that kind of optimism and hope that amy has and that levi um, points out that she has and and talks about in their last conversation on the screen and it's to me it's kind of essential um to, to allow yourself 
feel that. And I think that the, the finale and the whole season, which really builds to that climax, um, does a good job of at least opening that door. And it's kind of asking the viewer whether or not he or she's willing to walk through it. Well, I think it's, like you've both said, I think it's important. I think the show very much wants you to buy into it. And I think it wants you to buy into it in part because, I mean, just take the title. is like Amy's a constant work in progress. We're all constant works in progress. And so even if she does backslide as the fear that Kate expressed can be a possibility, that's perfectly acceptable. I think that the show would argue is on some level that a backslide is just part of that process of part of changing of part of growing. Um, and I think that that's where we're supposed to kind of take it is that even if you do have that fear necessarily that Amy's going to backslide in some capacity, that that's just part of the process and part of the journey that Amy's still on, that Amy will always be on now and how well she can continue to dedicate herself to being the change she wants to see in the world for to be very pad about things. Um, I think that's where the show wants you to leads us to feel and wants us to take away from it. And I think that the big thing is that that last shot is her just like disappearing into a crowd and going, going forward with her life as someone who, despite being this whistleblower is now once again, someone who's just in the flow of life that has to continue to go against the current. And I think that's where the show wants us to go with it. Absolutely. And then it's also this idea of her no longer needing to be observed. Yes. She's, she's so desperate to be seen. Yeah. For the series. And so that's such a lovely note to end on. And that's, you know, the show didn't get picked up, which is why we don't have more, but there's also this idea that, well, the show's done because she doesn't, need that validation in the same way anymore at least right now and so we don't need to follow her anymore it's it's a lovely way and again to tie back into what what you're saying sean it's it's a beautifully optimistic ending and i think we could all use a little optimism right now she doesn't even pick up her newspaper for like validation she doesn't need to i also want to say that this is not an infallible series it Mm -hmm. is almost certainly in my top 10 of all time, but it has its flaws as most things do. And it's kind of charming to me because of that. But yeah, occasionally the writing goes a little bit too far and it's a grandiosity. And the pilot I don't think is very good, but it's kind of necessary for setting up everything yeah. that happens afterwards. And there are a couple episodes towards the beginning of the second season that are really just rehashing the same points. Like, yes, we understand that Tyler's very uncomfortable about being involved in this and is worried about losing his job. Um, but for all its faults, it's, it's that optimism, I think, that really shines through and is necessary, not just right now, um, especially right now, of course, because these things tend to go in cycles, but is always kind of necessary to see in art. And again, relating back to the beginning of our discussion about a wider perspective to show somebody who really is incredibly self-centered at the beginning of this and somehow takes in, internalizes other people's perspectives. And even though it's not always entirely successful, that that awareness, um, I think, is 
a huge part of Enlightened to, to see at least the wider world around Amy Jellicoe and then as an audience member to, to hopefully take inspiration from that and to me like the best series or my favorite series to to make you want to do better in that regard as well and to see more than just the perspective that you're used to seeing and I think Enlightened really does that which is about the highest compliment that I can give Mike White. Well, do we have any final thoughts for Enlightened? No? Like I said at the top, this was something I didn't watch until uh, Amazon and HBO made their deal to drop random bits of their shows um, on Prime. So, like, this and In Treatment were, like, the first things that I watched, like, that starting that week um, that they put them on. I didn't realize what I was getting into with In Treatment. I totally forgot how that show was structured. (laughs) (laughs) But... After watching it, um, like a year or so after, uh, we organized a top top shows of the uh, first half of the decade, basically, um, at TV.com. And like all of us, I think most of us um, had Enlightened on the list, and I had it on there as well. And I think that just uh, speaks to the fact that even after having just watched it, despite it only having 18 episodes and 18 half-hour episodes of that, and that this is coming out at a time when we're all really knee-neck deep in different types of this idea of quality television, that enlightens doing something very different, uh, doing something much brighter, but also something much more compelling and not to say nothing of the fact that, it, like you said, Kate, it has a difficult woman at the center of it. And it's just, it's a show that I think probably we're not even going to see, like, the influences of for, like, another three or four years, maybe, if not if not a little bit later. But I'm sure that we'll start seeing this show's influence on people sooner or later. and Or at least I hope so, because... Like what Sean was saying when with his, I think his final thoughts just now is that it's something, this kind of a show, this kind of approach is something that we need and needs to be shown and represented. And yeah, I think Enlighten's a really good first step and announcement for that this kind of a television show can work, even if nobody watches it. <laughs> Sean, any final thoughts? I mean, your listeners are very uh, well-viewed and smart, so probably most of them have seen this already. And for those that haven't, it's it's a necessity. Like, you must watch Enlightened. And for those who have seen it, going back and watching this again for this discussion was the highlight of the month for me. Um, it, it gets better and better every time, and you see and feel more which is kind of the point of something like this um, that really is character work uh, above all. And I I really encourage that, especially given how short it is, so it's not much of a commitment. Um, But this is, to me, one of the greats and will remain one of the greats. And if the only possibility is that it, it goes further up the echelon of great TV series as it ages, which that's, that rarely happens. This is a special one. Yeah. 
And for those who, for some reason, are still listening but have not seen Enlightened, um, check it out. We recommend it. Um, I just keep in mind you might need to like kind of push through in those first few episodes. If you're game, then try to commit to watching at least like three or four because you will very possibly really not like Amy at first and say, why do I want to watch a show about this character? She's insufferable. Um, I had a hard time with the show at first and I'm very, very, very glad that I didn't just turn it off and watch something that was easier uh, and follow a character that was easier and less challenging. Um, so again, seek it out. It's available on HBO um, and it probably is still up on Amazon, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Go go seek it out. You will not be – I do not think you'll be sorry that you did. If you're, if you're still listening, you won't be sorry that you did. Um, uh, okay. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming out. This was a lovely conversation, and we didn't go for an hour. Almost. I mean, we should talk about the Hannibal finale again. No. Not, yeah, let's no. do that. No. I, I, I have we new all thoughts, need to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Especially about like all this stuff about season four that they've been talking about no, being in Cuba. I'm no, and... <laughs> no, we're stopping. But Sean, it's always a pleasure. Where can listeners find you and your work online? Uh, you can catch me at tvroundtable.com. Um, we should be putting up all our year end stuff very shortly. So, and also on Twitter at Sean Coletti, two L's, two T's. Okay. And thank you, everyone. Again, for listening, we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.